0: Good morning everyone. So good to see you this morning. Kind of a wet day today. A lot of folks out sick and things, but I'm so happy to see all of you. So happy we're here together on this Lord's day to worship God and study from his word. Will you get your Bible out, please, and go with me to the Old Testament this morning. I want to invite you to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. He's one of my favorite Bible characters because he's such a great leader of God's people. So when you go to the last chapter of Nehemiah, to Nehemiah chapter 13, I want to read with you how the book of Nehemiah concludes in Nehemiah, the 13th chapter. And we're going to start with verse number 23, please. In Nehemiah 13 and in verse number 23, the Bible says, In those days I also saw that the Jews and married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, As for their children have spoke the language of Ashdod. And none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, you should not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin? Regarding these things, yet among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you, that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehoda, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat the Horonite, so I drove him away from me. Remember me, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them from everything foreign and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task. And I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. As we begin our first study this morning from God's word, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want to ask you to put yourself in the shoes or in the sandals of this man, Nehemiah. I want to to ask you to put yourself in the sandals of Nehemiah. I mean, a few years prior, you just led this great rebuilding project in the city of Jerusalem. Remember, a few years prior, you, you left your job. As the cupbearer to the king of Persia, so you could travel to Jerusalem and help the people of God rebuild the walls of their city, you also helped lead a great spiritual revival among the people. I mean, with the help of the scribe and the priest Ezra, you motivated the people to get excited about the word of God again in Nehemiah chapter 8. You also helped the people begin observing the Feast of Booths again. They hadn't done that in a long period of time. And you also witnessed the people confess their sins to God and promise God that they were going to do better for him in the future. In fact, in Nehemiah 10, you witnessed the people put that promise in writing and have their leaders sign the document. You just did so many wonderful things. So many wonderful things took place. During your first trip to the city of Jerusalem, but now after being gone for a few years, you come back and, and you find this. You, you, you find this right here. You, you find a bunch of chaos. You, you find a bunch of broken promises. You find a bunch of backsliding and a bunch of turning away from God. You find some enemies, some enemies of God's people, some men who actually tried to kill you a few years earlier when you were helping rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Guys like Samballad and Tobiah, enemies of God's people. You find these guys living now within the walls of Jerusalem. You also find the temple not being properly cared for and the priests not being cared for. You also find the Sabbath being violated, and in the verses we just read, you find some Israelite men married to foreign women. They're married to women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. In fact, the discovery of these Israelite men being married to women from Ashdod is particularly interesting That is particularly disturbing. Let me ask you something. Do you know who these people were? Do you know who the people from Ashdod were? You see, the people who came from Ashdod, the people of Ashdod came from the city of Ashdod. The city of Ashdod was a Philistine city. If you remember, the Philistines were heathen, wicked and idolatrous people who were some of the main enemies of the people of Israel. They were actually the nation who killed the first king of Israel, Saul, and the second king, King David. If you remember, he always went to battle against the Philistines. In fact, before David battled the Philistines, If you remember, a guy by the name of Samson, he also battled the Philistines. He went to war against the Philistines over and over again in the time of the judges. The people of God, the people of Israel are intermarrying with the Philistines. They're intermarrying with some of the most wicked people on the face of the planet. And this was a serious, serious problem. This was a serious, serious problem. It was a serious problem, number one, because God had forbidden it. You see, God had forbidden his people from marrying or intermarrying with the heathen nations. God did that because he didn't want them to lose their identity. He he didn't want them to be negatively influenced. He didn't want them to be persuaded by the heathen nations to go down the path of idolatry and follow after false gods. He also didn't want their children and their grandchildren to be corrupted. In fact, in verse number 24, in verse number 24 of this chapter, notice the Bible says something interesting about these children. The Bible says in verse 24 something interesting about these children who were being born through these forbidden marriages. Notice how in this verse we see that even though the children that were being born through these forbidden marriages were living in the land of Judah, they were actually being raised by their heathen foreign mothers and they couldn't speak the native language of the Jewish people. They couldn't speak the Hebrew language. They could not speak the language of the people of God. Instead, the text tells us that these children, these children were speaking the language of Ashdod. They were speaking the language of Ashdod. They were speaking a language. That was probably a mixture of Hebrew and Ashdenite. It was a language that originated from a people who rebelled against God and didn't know God and didn't serve God. They were speaking the language of the Philistines, the language of Ashdod. And I want to suggest that the spirit of this language is still a threat to the people of God today. It's still a threat to me and you today. In fact, there are at least three ways, there are at least three ways in which the spirit from the language of Ashdod can negatively impact us, just like it negatively impacted the people of God during the time of Nehemiah. And one way in which the language of Ashdod can negatively impact us today is number one, it can negatively impact our speech. It can negatively impact our language. It can negatively impact the kind of words we speak when the world listens to us. In the case of these children who were being born through these forbidden and foreign marriages. Notice the Bible says that when they talked, when they spoke, they spoke the language of Ashdod. They spoke a language that God did not desire. They spoke a foreign language, a language that reflected something. It reflected that they were losing their identity and they were speaking like some people who didn't know God and serve God and love God. It reminds me of what Peter tells us as Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, in 1 Peter chapter 4, In verse 11, Peter is speaking to people like the vast majority of us. He's speaking to Christians, and he says in verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Peter says that as God's people, when we speak, we need to speak the utterances of God. We need to speak the language of God. That's what Peter says. And Paul would put it this way in Titus chapter two in verse eight. Paul says that when it comes to our speech as disciples, as followers of God, our speech needs to be sound. We need to be sound in our speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Notice what both of these passages tell us about our speech. Notice what both of these passages tell us about our language. Notice how in both of these passages we learn that when it comes to our language, God has expectations. God has expectations for the language of his people. He has expectations for our speech and from the vocabulary that the world hears from us beyond beyond just avoiding curse words. And using the Lord's name in vain, the Bible says that God expects our speech to be sound. He expects it to be biblical. He expects it to be unique when compared to the erroneous religious world because it is scripturally proper. That's what Paul is saying there in that verse. The question is, does that describe you? Does that describe you in your life right now, right now? Does your language, does your vocabulary reflect the language of scripture or is it foreign to the scriptures? Does your language right now sound more like the language of the Bible or does it sound more like the language from Ashdod? Let me tell you how the language of Ashdod sounds today. You want to know how the language of Ashdod sounds today? The language of Ashdod among the people of God today sounds like this. It sounds like Christians calling their preacher a reverend. It sounds like Christians calling their preacher a pastor or confusing the work and the vocabulary associated with the work of a preacher. With the work of an elder or a bishop or a shepherd in the church, getting those things confused. You speak the language of Ashdod when you confuse the terminology that is ascribed to the preacher and the shepherds in the church. And it also involves using the wrong terminology about being part of the church. You see, if you are a member of the church of Christ. If you are a member of the church of the Bible the church that the Lord built, and someone comes up to you and they ask you, hey, what church are you part of? If they ask you that and you say, well, you know what? I'm church of Christ or I joined myself to the church of Christ. If you say that kind of stuff, you speak in the language of Ashdod. You speak in a foreign language. You have failed to understand that if you've been baptized for the remission of your sins, according to Acts 2 and verse 38, you are not A church of Christ. No, you are a member of the church of Christ. You have not joined yourself to the church of Christ. No, you've been added to the church of Christ. The Lord washed away your sins by his blood and he added you to his church. He added you to his body. He added you to his kingdom. And then you decide to join yourself to a local church and be accepted into that fellowship. See that's biblical terminology. That's Bible terminology right there. In fact, speaking of this idea of being in fellowship with a local church or with the church or with the Lord, if you really want to speak the language of Ashdod today, just keep using the word fellowship in the wrong way. Use the word fellowship the way the world used the word fellowship. Use the word fellowship to talk about recreation and having fun. Use the word fellowship to talk about drinking coffee and eating fried chicken and pizza and, and hot wings with other Christians. Use the word fellowship to describe going hiking and camping and fishing with your brethren. That's how the world uses the word fellowship. That's not how the Bible uses it, though. That's not how the Bible is using it in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. Where the bible says the early christians were continually devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread into prayers the word fellowship there is the idea of sharing joint participation spiritual communion involving yourself in a joint participation sharing communion in a spiritual relationship even sharing resources with each other like we find the Christians doing throughout the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul actually used this word in that very way in Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter one In Philippians chapter one in verse number five. In Philippians one in verse five, as Paul speaks to the Philippians, he says, in view of your participation, some translations use the word fellowship. In view of your fellowship, Paul says, in the gospel from the first day until now. What is Paul talking about there? Well, he's he's talking about money there. He's talking about how the Philippians shared with him financially. They sent him money as a preacher of the gospel. Whenever we send money to preachers in the cause of the gospel, we are in fellowship. We are sharing a spiritual work. With those brethren, that's what Paul is saying there. And then I want to put some other passages together and see if you can see the connection. Okay, just follow me here, please. In First Corinthians chapter one, I'm going to go kind of fast here. In First Corinthians chapter one and verse nine, see if you can see the pattern here. Okay, in First Corinthians chapter one and verse number nine, Paul says that God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship. With his son, you were not called eat hot wings and fried chicken with Jesus. You were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, you put that with Second Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And many people think these verses are talking about marriage. They are not talking about marriage. They're talking about how Christians should not be in spiritual fellowship or communion with unbelievers. People who are involved in idolatry, people who are not worshiping God correctly, spiritual fellowship. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership? The idea there is fellowship have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among, the, among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I want to add one more passage to this, okay? Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and in verse number 6. I'm going to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 and in verse number 6. And John says here, if we say, if, as Christians, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie, do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you see what those verses are talking about? You see the connection? You see it? Sharing, communion, joint participation, and a spiritual relationship with God, with his son, with the Holy Spirit, with the apostles, with each other. That's how the Bible uses the word fellowship. That's how the Bible always always, always, always uses the word fellowship. And if we use the word differently than the Bible does, then guess what? We're speaking Ashdod. We're speaking the language of Ashdod. We're speaking a foreign language. We're speaking a language that is contrary to what the Bible says. And for those who may wonder, well, why is this such a big deal? Here's why this is a big deal. The reason why this is a big deal is because how we talk, how we communicate, the kind of words we use to talk about biblical concepts, that reflects something that reflects spiritual growth. That reflects if we're studying and rightly dividing the word, and truly being grounded in the faith. If we've been Christians for several decades, and we still misuse the word fellowship, or we still call the preacher a pastor, or we tell people that we joined ourselves to the church of Christ, then that means something. That means we're not growing. That means we're not maturing. We're not developing properly and our understanding of biblical concepts, and the only way we can remedy that. It's by getting our heads in the book. It's by studying, learning, paying more careful attention to the true language of Scripture so that we can always speak in a way that reflects the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we can't stand out from the world, as we talked about last Sunday. We can't stand out from the world while speaking like the world, like by, while talking like the world. we got to be sound in our speech not speaking the language of Ashdod, the language of Ashdod can impact even today the speech of God's people. But not only can it impact our speech. Secondly, let me say this. It can also impact our kids. Our kids. Going back to Nehemiah 13, remember the text specifically says that the children that are being born into or through these mixed forbidden marriages, They spoke the language of Ashdod. They spoke the language of the Philistines. And that was a problem because it demonstrated something. It demonstrated that the kids weren't being raised right. The the kids were not being raised to know God and love God and serve God. They were not being raised to take on the true religion. Instead, they were being raised to take on a false religion. They were being raised take on the religion of the Philistines. They were being raised to speak a corrupt language and live by corrupt morals and participate in corrupt religion. A bad cycle was beginning in Israel during this time. And we need to understand that that same cycle, it can occur today. It can occur in families even today. Even today, as parents, we can promote a culture of Ashdod in our homes instead of a culture of God. We can do that when we promote the wrong priorities, when we place emphasis on the wrong kinds of things, when we place more emphasis on academics and sports and excelling and playing an instrument above Bible reading and above preparing for Bible classes and learning how to pray and gathering for worship and attending youth devotionals or other events that are designed to help our young people grow spiritually. We can also promote a standard of Ashdod when we as parents don't model Christian values in our home every day. Whenever our kids hear us gossip about other people in the church, Or they see us mistreat their mama or their daddy because we got uncontrolled anger. Or they see us being unforgiving and ungrateful and full of bitterness and jealousy towards other people. You know what that promotes? That promotes a culture of Ashdod in the home. It doesn't promote a culture of God. In fact, let's add to this by reading Ephesians chapter 6. Here's something else to think about when it comes to this. Ephesians 6. In verse 1, please, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 1, Paul has something to say about Christian households. In Ephesians 6 and verse 1, Paul says, Children, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, notice there how Paul Notice how Paul speaks to two different groups of people there. First, he speaks speaks to the children. He speaks to young people, young people who are in a position where they are still under the authority and, and care of their parents. Young people like this right here. Young people like we have all throughout this building. Young people who you need your parents to feed you, to clothe you. You can't even pay your own cell phone bill. He's talking to you. If you're in that category, Paul's talking to you right here. Paul says that young people. Children need to obey their parents. They need to honor their parents, value their parents, submit to the authority of their parents. Young people need to understand that if you don't respect and obey and submit to your parents, you will never, ever be able to properly do that when it comes to God. This starts in the home. If you want to properly respect God and honor God, and show reverence towards God, you got to first do that with your parents. That's where it starts. And if you don't learn to obey your parents and respect your parents and submit to your parents, you will fail in doing those things towards God when you become an adult. Paul says young people need to obey their parents. But not only does he speak to the children, to the young folks, he also has some things to say to parents, particularly to fathers, people like me. The leaders of the household. What does Paul tell us? Well, Paul tells us that we need to discipline our kids. We need to raise our kids. We need to understand that God doesn't want us to leave our kids to their own devices. He doesn't want our kids calling the shots and making the rules and setting the standard for the home. Instead, God wants the parents to be in charge. The parents are to be in charge. The parents are to understand that God has given us authority over our children. God wants us to embrace that authority. God wants us to lead our kids, teach our kids, discipline our kids in love whenever they engage in destructive behavior. You see, whenever we don't do that, whenever we allow our kids to dishonor us and abuse us and do whatever they want and get away with it. You know what we promoted in our home? We're promoting a culture of Ashdod. We're not promoting a culture of God. We're promoting a culture of the world, a culture of Ashdod. And so let me ask you, right now in your own life, in your own home, in your own family, what kind of culture do you have? What kind of culture do you have in your home? What kind of culture do you have with your family? What kind of culture do you have with your kids? I mean, right now in your home, are you permeating a culture of Ashdod? Are you permeating a culture of disorder and chaos and hypocrisy and God is not first and foremost? Or are you promoting a culture of God? Are you promoting a culture of godliness and godly love? An environment where children are being raised right. They're being raised to know God and serve God and honor God and obey God. You see, Ashdod, the spirit of Ashdod, it can still impact God's people today. It can impact our speech. And it can impact our homes, our kids. But let me close with this. It can also impact, most importantly, God. God, our heavenly father. Going back to Nehemiah 13 one more time, when we read those verses, I think it was pretty clear to you, at least I hope it was, that what the people of Israel were doing at this time upon Nehemiah's return, it had a negative impact on God. It had a very negative impact on God. Now, why did it have a negative impact on God? Well, the first reason why is because it reflected a broken promise. Going back to Nehemiah chapter 10. The people of Israel, Nehemiah 10, before Nehemiah left to go back to Susa, they promised they were not going to do this anymore. They vowed to God that they were no longer going to intermarry with the heathens. They were not going to give their sons and their daughters to to foreign nations. They made this promise to God, and and obviously by this time, they've, they've broken that promise. They've broken their promise to God. In fact, in verses 25 through 27, we read those verses earlier. If you were paying attention, and I, and I hope you were, Nehemiah in those verses specifically calls their actions a sin. He says it was an evil, a great evil, a great evil that had followed in the footsteps of King Solomon. Remember, King Solomon got involved with intermarrying with heathens. And they led him down a path of idolatry, did they not? They led him away from God. They they led his heart away from the one true and living God, and he got involved in worshiping the idols, the false gods. And Nehemiah says that that's exactly what was going to happen to them if they continued down the path they were on. They were going back on a path of idolatry, and that means... And listen carefully, please. If Nehemiah did not take the swift and radical action that we find him taking in this chapter, God's plan to save us from our sins through Jesus would have failed. It would have failed. It would have failed because it would have made God to be out a liar. It would have failed because Israel, these people, would not have remained the distinct and holy nation unto God that God promised they would be. You see, the actions of Israel at this time threatened to destroy God's entire plan to save us through through the Messiah. They, they, They threatened to destroy everything God swore about the Messiah when he made promises to the patriarchs. And I wonder, I wonder if we realize that our actions, our actions today can have the same kind of impact on God. Our actions today can have the same kind of impact on God's cause and and God's people. I wonder if we realize that when we sin, when we do what God has told us not to do, when we rebel, when we don't refrain from the things God has forbidden and decide to live our lives doing whatever we want to do, I wonder if we realize that when we live lives like that, we impact God. We hurt God. We break God's heart. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We act unfaithfully and we break our covenant with God. We demonstrate selfishness and a lack of trust in God's wisdom and God's word. We also discourage other followers of God, just like Nehemiah was discouraged when he came back to Jerusalem. You see, what I just want you to see is why we don't live in this time. We don't live in a time of Nehemiah. Even though we don't live in that time, there's so much we can learn from that one verse right there. There's so much we can learn from Israel from this one verse. From this one verse, Nehemiah 13, 24, we learn about the importance of sound speech, sound families, and a sound relationship with God. The people of Israel, by this time, according to this verse they were being more influenced by the people of Ashdod than they were by God. And maybe right now, maybe right now, that describes your life. Maybe right now, as you evaluate your own life, you recognize that you're acting more like a child of Ashdod than a child of God. Maybe you realize you're acting more like a child of Satan than a child of the Heavenly Father. If that's the case, then... That can change in the next couple of minutes. If you're a Christian and you haven't been behaving as a true Christian, if you're willing to repent and ask God to forgive you, he will forgive you and make a promise to him that you're going to do better and be willing to keep that promise. Keep your vow to God or if you are someone who's not a Christian, you've never obeyed the gospel and you want to become a child of God, you can do that in the next few minutes. If you're willing to believe in Jesus and repent of your sins, And obey his commandment to be baptized for the remission of your sins. So there's anyone here this morning who needs to become a child of God or rededicate themselves to God. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.